Hello and welcome to There Will Be Spoilers, 100 Films, 100 Podcasts. My name is Matt Bizzell. And I am Ethan Knight. And we are here with number 51, that's right, episode 50, halfway through 100 Films. Halfway through. Ethan, I see here you have a song prepared. I do. Hold on. Are you ready? Yeah. We're halfway through the list of films, but this time we're gonna keep talking. But I don't fucking know. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm pretty disappointed. I gave you two weeks to prepare the song, and, and, and that's all you came up with. That was still better than most of the songs in this film, though. Oh, harsh criticism. Ethan, of course, is talking about 1961's West Side Story. West Side Story. Not East. Not, not East. North. Nope. And definitely not South. And I'll actually have something to say about East Side Story. But first, I think we do well with a plot synopsis. Oh, God. A lot happens in this. Okay, here we go. West Side Story is the story of Maria and Tony, two young lovers from opposing gangs in New York City. Tony is a member of the Jets, a white gang, and Maria's brother is a member of the Sharks, a Puerto Rican gang. At the opening of the film, tension between the two gangs grows until finally officers Shrank and Krupke arrive to let the characters or the members know that they must either make up or face prison time. This leads to Riff, the leader of the Jets, to decide that his gang will challenge the Sharks to a rumble to prove who runs the streets. Tony, meanwhile, has left the Jets to work at Doc's drugstore. Riff recruits him to join them at the dance that evening as they prepare for their rumble. Tony sings about his impending feelings of change. The leader of the Sharks, Bernardo, who has the younger sister, Maria, she works at a dress shop. The night of the dance, she and her friend Anita, who dates Bernardo, work on their dresses. Maria laments her white dress until she sees it on her. She also laments the lack of interest in Chino, her brother's choice of husband for her. Later at the dance, there's tension between the two gangs, but the organizer forces them to mingle with a special dance. Tony and Maria meet, they fall in love, and as the two kiss, Bernardo separates them and threatens Tony. Bernardo and Rift set up a war council for later in the evening. As they wait, the Jets lament their poverty and the Sharks discuss the difference between America and Puerto Rico. Tony and Maria meet secretly and profess their love while the gangs meet and plan their war. The next day, Maria is elated but horrified when she learns of the rumble. Tony shows up and Anita learns of the romance. Maria and Tony then plan their wedding and she begs for him to end the rumble. The next day, the gangs meet under the highway to fight. The rumble quickly turns from hand-to-hand fight to a knife fight. As Tony tries to break it up, Bernardo stabs Riff and Tony stabs Bernardo. They both die. Uh, As the police arrive, the gangs scatter. While Maria waits for Tony, Chino arrives and tells her about the rumble. Tony shows up right after, and he tells her the whole story, and he apologizes for killing her brother. They plan an escape, and Tony goes to hide. The Jets regroup, and they plan to defend Tony from the now-armed and hunting Chino. Anita catches Tony leaving Maria's apartment and warns her to leave him, but is convinced otherwise by Maria's love for Tony. 
The police show up and detain Maria, who sends Anita to tell Tony to wait for her. When Anita arrives at the drugstore, she's accosted by the Jets and lies before she leaves that Maria was killed by Chino. When Tony learns of her quote-unquote death, he runs out looking for Chino, hoping he will also kill him. However, he spies Maria, and as the two run to embrace each other, Chino appears and shoots Tony dead. Bang. The gangs arrive, and Maria condemns them all. Chino's taken away by the cops, and Tony is carried away by the gangs. You know, Ethan, I feel like this is familiar to me. Like, I don't know, like there's some kind of story I've heard like this before hmm have you did maybe you read it in high school freshman english i don't know that doesn't sound right i don't know it sounds almost like it could be an ancient play not really ancient i guess that's that's a little I was too say old, <laughs> ancient is a little too old for that uh but it does sound a little bit like uh a you know uh a star-crossed lovers drama Something about star-crossed lovers. I just kept thinking about star-crossed lovers. There was a vague Italian feel to the whole thing, as though we were in Verona. I'm not really sure. Where our fair play is laid? Yeah, it's uh, Romeo and Juliet, right? Romeo and Juliet, yes. So that, obviously, well-known connection. The thing I had to say as a sort of context to this, however, was East Side Story, which was what this was originally going to be. It was going to be about Catholics and Jewish people and that forbidden love. So it's going to be religious as opposed to racial. Interesting. And the, I don't hesitate to say immigration crisis, right? But the the influx of Puerto Ricans to the United States um, caused a lot of tension and fear on multiple sides. Everyone, as I think this movie illustrates well, it's not just a one-sided thing. And as a result, the people, the powers that be decided this is West Side Story and it's about Puerto Ricans and the, I'm using air quotes, native New Yorkers, right? Right. Ethan, I'm just curious to get your initial impressions. I know you've seen this before, right? Maybe. I may have seen some of this before a long time ago. Um, But as our listeners will remember, I hate musicals. I really hate them. And this is... uh, one of those musicals that is performed a lot by community theater and high school theater and any other cheap non-professional theater that like housewives love because it's essentially inoffensive, even though it's actually probably not that inoffensive, but it appears to like white suburban people to be pretty inoffensive and classic. And let me tell you, uh, I, I'm not sure I get the appeal. I mean, it, I I just don't like... Well, I think what we can say is that in 1961, before the peak of the civil rights movement, this is very provocative and controversial, right? Yes, definitely. Absolutely. But in the 2000s, maybe it's not, right? Yeah, it. I think it's become, you know, now maybe right now in this particular political moment... Um, I think this is a little more inflammatory than it might be otherwise. Sure. Um, but I think that there is sort of a uh, dumbing down of that uh, contra- controversiality uh, that it perhaps originally was endowed. Because, you know, it's not about black people and white people. It's about maybe Polish people and 
some brown people, you know what I mean? So I feel like that is what helps it, you know, become a staple of things like uh, high schools and community theater because, you know, it's not in, you know, the early 2000s, it doesn't seem that uh, inflammatory, right? Yeah. I also think it's interesting the way they cast this film. It's 1961, so you are getting actors to play parts that they are racially what's a better way of saying that it's not like we're whitewashing necessarily although maria is played by a ukrainian russian descent person she's not puerto rican at all yeah and there's a lot of i i hesitate to say brown face because i'm not sure that's what it is it is actually they have added additional makeup to make the Puerto Rican seem darker. So people who yeah. are actually Puerto Rican playing roles that are Puerto Rican in the film have their skin darkened. Yeah. So, you know, that I, I, I think you're right. I mean, that qualifies as brown face, not in the way that you've got I mean, at the very least, we don't have necessarily all white people playing the Puerto Rican parts, but that idea, yeah, the idea that they are darkened significantly is problematic. And you've got a Greek, brother and sister one of them is on the jets the puerto ricans no sorry the sharks the puerto ricans and then the girlfriend of riff the redhead she's also greek and she's the sister of someone who is on the shark so it just kind of shows the way they've blurred these lines which is something hollywood has always done you know never super gracefully we might say yes and also speaking of the casting can we talk for a second about why everybody in this film not everybody. There are a couple exceptions. But why is everybody so ugly in this film? Everybody looks like a their faces all look like like a like a a mold, like a mold of a special effect. They don't look right. Everybody is weird looking. They all have weird faces. I don't like it. It made me uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm not sure I felt the same way, but if I were to venture a guess, maybe it's filming techniques or the heavy makeup that's been done. It's probably a little bit of a little bit of that and a little bit of that. And just everyone is sweaty and they all have weird mouths and I just don't like it. Well, these are supposed to be the <laughs> the refuse, right? These are not the fine upstanding members of society. True. These are the downtrodden. So maybe that played into their casting of Hollywood ugly. You know, the people who are still generally more attractive than everyone on the street, but are supposed to be played as ugly on film or in TV shows. There are a few of those people, though, that look like they were an action figure that got melted in the microwave for a couple of seconds. Harsh words. Harsh words. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that great of a uh, looking person, that good of, that good looking of a person if I could talk today. But I don't know. It just was... Uh, maybe it's because I watched it in high definition and it just was... I don't know. Everyone was sweaty and I... Ugh. I didn't like there it. is something I will say about the experience of watching this film in that it is an older film. It is long. It's two and a half hours yeah, long. It's a long one. And I mean, that's about the same time you would see on a performance of Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah. Yeah. I will say, however, that I think this is far more resonant than Romeo and Juliet is. Do you sure. know what I mean? That like, this is far more applicable to an audience than yeah. a stodgy old play. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, as far as adaptations of Shakespeare go, this is a, a good adaptation. Because, you know, Shakespeare is something, because it's old enough, um, 
that there are no copyrights. You know, Shakespeare is bungled left and right because you don't have to pay anybody for the rights, so you can do it, right? Um, and most performances of Shakespeare, maybe not most, but there are many performances of Shakespeare where the actors don't really know the play very well. Directors kind of throw it into a setting because they think it will be cool uh, rather than, you know, for an actual... Um, you know, narrative reason or, or met- metaphorical reason, right? Sure. Um, this one, I think, this particular adaptation does a good job of reframing this uh, conflict between what is originally two families, right, uh, running around in the streets of Italy. Um, by putting this in New York in the 50s. And modernizing um, it, right? Ultimately modernizing it. Yeah, I, I think that they do a, a good job, and it... it you know, it does hold up, and it is it is a very American treatment of it. Um, that you know, there's there's some nostalgia. Clearly, in the '60s already, there's some nostalgia for the uh, sort of greaser culture of the of the '50s. Also, just like post-war, post-World War II United States, I feel like that is ever present there as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, and and that holds up. You know, there's something about being in New York with you know that sort of setting that sort of 50s setting where you know and and i think that does a good job of taking you know one of the things that is strange about romeo and juliet i think for especially younger readers or or audience members to understand this weird setting where there are young kids running around like with swords stabbing each other but also having fun about it by putting it into this two sort of conflicting gangs um of young people, of fairly young people, even though some of these motherfuckers look like they're 30, and I think they're probably supposed to be, like, high school age. Um, that sets up a sort of playfulness, but also seriousness, right? Like, being in the city, um, being in these young gangs where people can get killed, um, but a lot of their fighting, their back and forth, is fairly playful, which is confusing, right? When you're running around with swords, uh, and it's like, we're just having fun, it's harder to maybe wrap your mind around that versus... You know, this idea of gangs or something like that, you know, and and playful gangs, not, you know, uh, and, and nostalgically playful, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah. So before we move on, Ethan, you were telling me before we started recording that your favorite Shakespeare adaptation was She's the Man, the Man of Binds. And <laughs> what's that guy's I that name? Might, I think that's your favorite, man. Oh, I don't know. I just you, you seem so emphatic about it in the <laughs> pre stuff we were doing. Uh, Ethan, I wanted to turn to our pivotal scene. Yeah. Because, like, I always try to capture our pivotal scene. I think this scene is actually what sells me on this film as a modern take of Romeo and Juliet, as something that has value outside of, well, it's a good version of Shakespeare. Okay, tell me what the scene is. Yeah, the scene I picked for this was right before... We get into the song that the the Jets, and it's kicked off by Anita. In fact, about the differences between the United States and Puerto Rico. This oh, is I'm after so glad the you dance. chose that. I'm that. This is the best scene in the film. This is it. This is the best. The best song in the film. This is the perhaps the best dance number you've chosen wisely. What was your fear of what I'd pick? Oh God, I don't know. Maybe uh, one of the, anything with Ro- the Romeo character Tony singing because he's just bad 
And some of the songs in this, I, you know, I know this is a Sondheim thing and he's revered, but some of the songs just fucking suck, and I did not want to listen to them. <laughs> I thought the songs were particularly strong when they were really discussing or explaining the everyday life of yeah. the Puerto Ricans and also the native, again, quotes, New Yorkers. And that lead up to it, before the Puerto Ricans begin their song, I thought was really good because we really get an idea of their plight or their conditions. The fact that there's this love for Puerto Rico and this pride for it. And there's also this like nationalism to it as well, but it's also part of the United States. And so what does that mean? How does that affect things? But also that like the conditions they're living in, they went to the United States for a better life, but it seems like everything's just as bad. And I think Bernardo says, if everything's just as bad, just more expensive, we still have nothing. It's just more expensive. Yeah, and I wonder. Let me let me check really quickly when Puerto Rico becomes part of the United States because they talk about it happening. It seems like we're because they say something in the scene or maybe in the song about like we're we are Americans now. Yeah, it looks like that happened in 1950, and this is set in the early 50s. So, so this is actually a particularly close event for this, right? This is something yeah, that actually definitely. Gets well, and I mean, we've, and we've seen this, I mean, well, yeah, play this first and we'll talk about it. Yes, yeah, so here's a clip. You know she has a mother, also a father. They do not know this country any better than she does. And you do not know it at all. Girls here are free to have fun. She is in America now. Puerto Rico is in America now. Sometimes I don't know which is thicker, your skull or your accent. Oh. Vámonos, muchachos. Let them wait. Is Maria all right? I should be so all right. It will not happen again. Pepe Indio. After tonight, things will be settled. They're settled your stomach. Never mind my stomach. Well, I mind your nose and your head broken. Broken? Sure. They use Maria for an excuse to start World War III. It is more than that. More than what? She was only dancing. With an American. Is really a Polak. Says this fake. You are not so cute. That Tony is. And he works. A delivery boy. And what are you? An assistant. See, and Gino makes half of what the Polak oh, makes. The Polak is an American. Hey, your mother's a Pole. Your father's a Swede. But you, you were born here. That's all that you need. You are an American. But us. When I think of how I thought it would be for us here, we came like children, believing, trusting with our hearts open, with our arms open. You came with your mouth open. (laughs) You did speak and you go back in handcuffs. I'm going back in a Cadillac. Air conditioned, built-in bar. Telephone. And television. Compatible color. If you had all that here, why would you want to go back to Puerto Rico? Oh, even if you didn't have all that here, why would you want to go back to Puerto Rico? Ah, it's so good here. It's so good there. We had nothing. (laughs) Ah, we still have nothing. Only more expensive. I found this to be particularly resonant with me because this really gave the Romeo and Juliet plot actual character. There's nothing really... I always found it really unbelievable in Romeo and Juliet on a variety of levels, but the whole family vendetta thing in Italy never really drew me, but certainly race relations in 
modernizing the United States or modern United States, depending on when you want to draw that line. I think that's really interesting. And I don't know. I think it just, it just clicked like, oh, okay, here's why this is the halfway point on our list on the AFI top 100, as opposed to something else. There actually is a lot of value here, especially given the time that this was disseminated. Yeah. And, and you know, what I, what I think that this film does very well is, as, as you sort of push us towards is not necessarily the Romeo and Juliet, the star-crossed lover. I mean, and even in Romeo and Juliet, there that romance is not, it's kind of boring, um, even in the source material. But in this film, they and this scene in particular, they do a very good job of taking this from a story just about like lovers and gangs or whatever, and, ha- and having it be about America, the American experience, whether it's immigrant or, or otherwise, right? And I think that this helps to really push this film and why I think that, you know, it's worth being on the list and why it's worth being this high on the list. Because, you know, what this does, and this maybe will lead into a thesis a little bit here, um, but but I think this film challenges the American dream, right? I think that it, it challenges our conception of America. Um, and we get two versions of it, right? We get the immigrant experiences we've just seen in the scene where, you know, like you've pointed out, they talk about how... Uh, it's not better necessarily. It's it's just more expensive. We still don't have anything. You know, America's the... I think they say a couple of times, right, that America's the land of opportunity, uh, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily... Just because the land of opportunity doesn't mean that you will get the opportunity. Right. Opportunities for who is the question that is posed by that. Yes. Um, and we see it first with, you know, the uh, the Puerto Rican characters, the jet or the sharks, Um and then on the flip side, right, we have the scene and the song with... Officer Krupke is the song, right, where they're, the Jets are talking about the systemization of their own lacking American dream, right? Right. It's it's a sort of cycle of poverty setup, right, where... You and know, mental the, unhealth and things like that. This is... It actually right. occurs 20 minutes after the pivotal scene so they actually are set up as oppositions in this sense so the film definitely knows what it's doing with that as well right and so i think what this does a a very good job of too of illustrating right is this idea that um and and i think this is why it's a good adaptation is that at the end of the day we can understand this conflict between the two groups of characters but they're both they both lose right both families or, or i guess in this case uh gangs or groups of people lose they're both fighting the same fight which is essentially the man right um or or you know systematic poverty or systematic racism or whatever instantiation of of that sort of thing um and they've been sort of pitted against each other um to distract them right i mean you you pit these these sort of impoverished um people against each other in order to distract them from the fact that the people that are really fucking them over right are the system are are, you know these promises of uh, these manipulative promises of of uh, opportunity of uh, you know you can be anyone you can be anything right and i think this is corroborated by the characters and what they say they say as much right they say like well, what else is there, right? All we have is this block. All we have is this neighborhood. And, and I, it's all this is all tempered, of course, by the fact that I, th- like I said, I think these are supposed to be high school age kids. 
Um, and as we all know, you know, young kids, especially young boys, don't make the soundest or most rational of decisions, right? Sure. So we've got all of these people that are that are you know don't have the opportunities that they've been promised, or that you know society itself promises, and you know they're all young. And they've been pitted against each other for whatever reason. And so it just sort of spirals out of control until people start dying. Well, I also think that, that we do see that they are aware that it's the system that's oppressing them. Because when the de- detective comes into Doc's store at night when they're having their war cancel- council, they all act as friends, right? They all act like things are good between them because they know that like, hey, mm-hmm. this is the actual issue here. And we're only free to do what we want with our little war council and our rumbles and our fair fights if we play by this superseding system of rules first. The, I, I do think that this film does try to get at, in the same way that Romeo and Juliet really isn't necessarily a story only about love and Stark, right? This particular adaptation is about race. It's about poverty. It's about the American condition. Uh, in and of itself, right, and not the one percent, right. This is not the the traditional tragedy that is about great people doing great things. This is, you know, uh, working its way towards a modern, uh, you know, Willie Loman style uh, a tragedy, right. And I agree with this. And even I'll give you my thesis now. I think though this film is often reduced to just another remake of Romeo and Juliet, I think West Side Story is far more impactful for its modern subject matter. And it's more relevant pathos. I think we are involving ourselves with just a different kind of emotional resonance or emotional connection in an audience than the play as a play I remember having, right? I think when Tony comes to tell Maria that her brother is dead and she's crying and just beating against his chest, like I felt really sad by that. Whereas Romeo and Juliet, I've never been sad by Mercutio or Tybalt dying. You know, it just wasn't something that mattered to me as much. Right. And you know that again, I mean, I think that that uh, points to the the direction, right. And the adaptation um, because, you know, Shakespeare can be moving um, and things like Romeo and Juliet can be moving, but Shakespeare is done badly quite often. Um, and people don't understand it, uh, especially Romeo and Juliet, because Romeo and Juliet is a play that is um, really a, a, about half lighthearted boys running around in the streets, making dick jokes and fighting with each other to fight. Um, and then there's this other, you know, there's the love story underneath it that talks about unrequited love and desire and things like that. Um, but people think of Romeo and Juliet as something that's very serious, uh, that's that's very, you know, what we would call hackneyed or cliche now. Um, but it's not. Romeo and Juliet is jaunty. Um, it's it's raunchy uh, and it's a lot of fun if done well with these sort of moments of uh, of strong emotion. Which is a lot of Shakespeare, right? I mean, I'm a yeah. huge Shakespeare fan, and I will always go to bat for Shakespeare. Romeo and Juliet is probably one of my least favorite, but yeah. characterized also by comedy and tragedy together, despite whether or not we list it as a comedy or tragedy. Yeah, definitely. That sort of arbitrary division sometimes. Ethan, why don't we turn to our three questions? Let's do it. Do we care about this film? Um, yeah, I think we kind of have to. Uh if only because it is such an important um, piece of musical theater history. Mm-hmm. 
this is, you know, it's done all the time. I'm sure it's running in 10 places somewhere right now, you know, uh, at least across America. It's This is something that's, you know, is wildly popular um, and has entered the sort of uh, cultural consciousness. And it uh, is, a, is a good adaptation at the end of the day of Shakespeare. And it is not easy to adapt Shakespeare well with such lasting um, staying power. I mean, I, th- I think you would be hard-pressed to name more than, you know, six or seven really good adaptations that have stood the test of time. And this one, in a lot of ways, has. Yeah, and I agree with you. I do care about this film both as a viewer and as like a film scholar if we're approaching earning that title perhaps <laughs> but <laughs> well we're halfway through so sure we're something yeah. now right we've watched films that makes us qualified but i i do want to point out some of the things of why we care about it through the use of our second question i feel like we always kind of lead in this way and so maybe we just make it official and say what do we owe to this film as a retroactive answer or delayed answer perhaps to our first question because i think it i think we do care about it because of a lot of things we owe to it yeah, definitely. I think what we owe to this film is very wide. Obviously, the whole snapping, dance fighting. Thing, I was just going to say. As terrible as that is and how ill-suited it is to talk about physical combat. You can't you can't see, but I am dancing right now. That's, yeah. I, I see you in my Skype window. You're, put your shirt back on, Ethan. Come on. <laughs> well, I'm sweaty. It's hot. <laughs> You're, you're a melted action figure, I think. To, to I am, you. and I've got a lot of makeup on. So that is kind of inseparable from this film. It's often satirized and parodied. But I think this really is one of the first modern musicals, not necessarily musical comedies, because we know we've seen a lot of those already on the list, and there are a lot of them. But I think musical, I think musical full stop, I think this is one of the first modern ones that actually has some staying power. And this is a full musical in the way we understand. When you say a musical, this is a musical, right? This is, uh, you know, a lot of the other things we've dealt with in terms of musicals so far have been versions of musicals. This is a, as you said, a full stop, you know, musical. They It begins with an overture. They have brief scenes uh, that are punctuated by non-diegetic music. There's intermission, you know, it kind of fits all the things, right? Yes, it's a three-act structure, you know, there's there are dance numbers throughout that are, you know, so this is a musical. And I think it's really easy to see how Rent exists in this world because of West Side Story. Absolutely. Taking on social issues of the day through the musical as a genre. Yeah. And as you mentioned earlier, this very much is the most lasting modern Shakespeare. I I can't even think of a more lasting modern Shakespeare. Nothing nothing comes to mind. Right. It's this is a shorthand. I mean, it really is a shorthand for, you know, Shakespeare adaptations, as you say something like West Side Story, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are there are lots of other ones that are that are good and will stick around probably, but this one is Like She's the Man? you know it's been a long time since i've seen that so it might not actually be as bad as we remember this is certainly not my favorite uh romeo and juliet adaptation either i am very much uh in love with the the Baz lerman romeo plus juliet no you're not you can't you can't seriously say that to me 
DiCaprio and Claire Danes. Oh, yeah. I like that a lot. It's big and boisterous and ridiculous. Just, just like you. <laughs> like me. It's it's pop culture, but it also retains uh, the language. Uh, and I think, yeah, but that we can talk about it at, at, a, at a different point. Well, actually, I think this is a perfect transition to our third question because I think you sort of jumped right into it, right? The idea yeah. that, well, does this film hold up? I was going to bring up Romeo plus Juliet as that piece of garbage does not hold up. Well, you know what? I would say this. I would say particularly of Romeo plus Juliet and and this one a little bit, but but less so. uh, They certainly are products of the decades in which they came out. Um, Because the idea of pitting like Puerto Ricans against white people uh, and, you know, that conflict, you know, that is there are uncomfortable moments watching this film today uh some of the language they use oh yeah even the the scene that we gave i didn't even give a content warning on this but there's very much some racial slurs in there that are not okay yeah so you know there's that uh but on the other hand i mean as we've pointed out this does hold up in some ways i mean i think the music most of the music has not aged very well but i also really don't care for I guess what you could call show tunes. I just don't like them. Um, and I think that some of the dancing, the fight, the fight dancing uh, is silly now. Um, but I think for the period uh, and for, you know, theater history in general, th- those scenes that I'm sitting there going, Oh God, they're ba-, like, these are tough guys balleting, kicking each, you know what I mean? Like it's just yeah. silly now, but I think that that, uh, you know, for the period, is is a way of taking you know an interesting more you know like what we, what we think of as all oh, big tough guys and making it something that is uh different from that you know tough guys don't do ballet but they turn it into that somehow well it's interesting to me because i think as the film goes on it takes away that dance fighting because you have the rumble or what becomes the rumble it's actual fighting there's no dance fighting in that although all throughout the film before that it had been and towards the end it just it becomes more and more serious i feel like with that and yeah, so it's almost so. like the film itself knows the dance fighting is not going to hold up and that's why i think it definitely doesn't today at all well and and i think that maybe that you, what you're pointing out too is is a shift as the film becomes less whimsical which is which is i mean that's echoed in in shakespeare's script right the further along we get in romeo and juliet uh the less whimsical and fun it becomes the more serious and uh, you know, actions have consequences, it becomes. Um, so we see that taper down a little bit. Um, also, I want to go back and just say, I moments ago I said that tough guys don't do ballet. That was scare quotes. Scare quotes all over there. Go tough no, guys No, no, you're a self-proclaimed tough guy. You don't do ballet. We all know. We all know the Ethan type. <laughs> but yeah. I would say, just as a final note to it holding up, that this is nothing... Well, I can't conceivably see how the film would avoid this, but just the star-crossed lovers and how they fall so inexorably in love with one another and that they're going to be married immediately. That's in the original play. It happens, obviously, in West Side Story. That's the part that always falls flat for me, no matter what. But I I think the way they handled it, they really did seem to lean toward chalking it up to, these are young, impulsive kids with no prospects. So... I think it is like wish fulfillment and that sort of yeah. motion is done a little bit better than 
certainly Romeo plus Juliet. Well, and I mean, I think the 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 big misinterpretation of Romeo and Juliet is that it's this great love story and it's not, I mean, it's, and I think this film does do a good job of showing us that like, holy shit, they met at a party and they're talking about getting married the next day. Like what, what? And that is part of Romeo and Juliet. Like the whole thing is like, what are everyone's like, what are you doing? This is a terrible idea. You don't know this person, you know? Um, and so that I think this film does you know sort of a good job of showing us that like these guys are what are you you're, you're this you're silly you're being silly. I agree, and I think we can just end it there. I think we can sign off. Done our due diligence for our fiftieth episode. Fiftieth episode. Ethan will return in two weeks with do you know the film? What is it? The Lord of the Rings. <gasps> oh. I am happy to look forward to that one yeah that'll be fun but until then i've been matt bazell and i am ethan knight and there will be have been and will always be spoilers ethan's getting up and just walking away from the computer screen and just spoilers there will be spoilers 100 films 100 podcasts was created and hosted by matt bazell and me ethan knight Matt Bazell produces our episodes each week. Our music was created by the strange and unusual Breakmaster Cylinder, who you can find all over the internet. Our artwork was created by Becca Knight, who can be found on Twitter at Becca the Knight. And that's Knight with a K. You can follow There Will Be Spoilers on Twitter at SpoilersCast. And you can hear more episodes on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you like our podcast, you can support us on Patreon for $5 a month at patreon.com slash spoilerscast. Your donation gives you access to two extra bonus episodes a month. Thank you for listening, and please tune in next week for more spoilers. Spoilers.